You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avtsan on 101.9 Chai FM. 101.9 Chai FM, this is Rabbi Levi Avtsan, Associate Rabbi Linksfield Chill, here live. Earlier today we were on with um, Sue Jackson. I want to thank her. Has a beautiful show every single week, Finding Human, at 10 a.m. on the Chai FM network. This is the Fabringen Show. And take a bit of a switch of the topic we spoke about this morning. Earlier this morning, we spoke about the idea of intergenerational legacies. And it was a fascinating conversation. Um, if I may say, you know, Sue really prepares a good show. And let's move on to something else. God. <laughs> what an awesome topic. Um, God. So for the conversation that we're going to have today, let's agree on a baseline, and that is he exists. He's real. He's here. He's there. He's everywhere. To, to speak about that baseline, we could talk about another show, or you could go listen to, you know, millions of different lectures and books that discuss the existence of God. But for the sake of a conversation, it's important that we agree on a baseline. And the baseline is he exists. The question is, now that he exists, how do you relate to him? How do you interact with an invisible, infinite, almighty God? Now, it might sound like a simplistic question, which it might be. But ultimately, if you want to boil down the various different religions, but more specifically within Judaism itself, the various different paths and groups, they all boil down to the same question, and that is, how do you deal with God? How do you build a relationship? Everyone agrees that at the core the human experience is about having a relationship with Almighty God. The question is, what kind of relationship do you have? And even within Judaism, you see so many different references to God. You see the reference, Avinu, he's my father. Like a person whose mother comforts him. You see the reference of a maternal mother. You see the reference of king, Malkenu, our king. You see the reference of a sister. Achoti, my sister. Rayati, my spouse. You see the reference of marriage. There's many, many different relationship dynamics that we have with God. And each one of them has their function. Each one of them has their space. But here we are literally less than four weeks away. Oh, sheesh. I just got a bit of a panic attack. Sorry, Craig. Less than four weeks away from Rosh Hashanah. Not because Rosh Hashanah is scary, just, you know, like in my line of work, Rosh Hashanah is a bit, it actually is get, it does get scary. It's a very intense time of the year and lots to do. But Rosh Hashanah is less than four time, four four weeks, and we're already a few days into the month of Elul. The month that leads up to Rosh Hashanah, the month that is, we're told the king is in the field. The king, referring to God, is in the field versus the king in the palace. The king in the palace refers, um, implies a, a king that is distant and inaccessible or diff- difficult to access versus the king in the field, which implies easy to access and amicable and you could just walk over and state your request. And this is the month, Hamelech Basadeh, the king's in the field. 
In other words, this is a month of closeness. Drashu Karov, seek out God when he's close. We're told that it's this era, this month, the first ten days of the month of Tishrei from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur. This is the time that God is close and accessible. So what does it mean? What does it mean to access God? Now it's interesting that when you talk to people about God, again, not about God's existence, but just about relationship with God, it's actually a very personal topic for people, and people are very passionate about it. I'm not talking about in a radical way, but they're passionate about the way they see the relationship. One person will be absolutely convinced that God does not want to hear about my private issues, so therefore I only pray for the collective. The other person's passionate that God wants them to pray about their private issues. One person's passionate that they want to speak every day to God for one hour. Besides davening, they go into the field and they're talking to God for an hour with absolute passion and conviction that God wants to hear what they have to say. The other person thinks, God is awesome, God cares, but seriously, I I don't want to waste his time, I don't want to waste my time, and I don't think it actually means anything, so I'm not going to sit there talking and sharing my feelings with God. And people will argue their points about interconnection with God very passionately, very convinced that they've discovered the access point to God. So I I think it's important at the beginning of the conversation to agree that there's no absolutes in this. As much as there are definitive things to do and definitive things not to do, each and every one of us is our own human being with our own personality. Some of us are more intellectual beings, some of us are more emotional beings, and some of us are more action-oriented beings. And each of us can connect to God in various different ways. Some of us that are more action-oriented can connect to God by doing, by doing a mitzvah, putting on tefillin, eating kosher, treating somebody nicely, using the mikvah, um, following the letter of the law. That's the way some of us connect to God exclusively. In other words, we do the other things, but that's our main, our focus, our priority, our primary method of connection. Then there are those that their primary method of connection is intellectual. They'll study Torah, and of course they'll do mitzvot as well, and they'll do what they have to be, uh, you know, what has to be done, and they'll treat their fellow human being the way they should. But their primary connection is through intellectualism, through Torah, through study, sitting in front of a Talmud, sitting in front of a Shulchan Aruch, the code of Jewish law, sitting in front of a mystical text, that makes them feel deeply connected with the divine. And then there are others who are emotional beings, that from th- that their most active and primary faculty is their emotions. They're, they connect emotionally. They're intuitive, and relationships is what makes them tick. And for them, their relationship to God is much more emotional and feeling and experience, experiential, um, seeking experiences within Judaism very much a more of a mood-based relationship, seeking to have, you know, like kind of highs in the relationship, praying with passion, talking to God with a very personal relationship. And it's important to respect the fact that we're all different and God is big enough, you know, as condescending as that sounds, to be able to tolerate and not only tolerate, appreciate our different personality. He created them. 
And just because you or I connect to God in one of the three methods, and within that there's obviously a million sub-categories, but if, if one of us is an intellectual and we connect to God through intellectualism, it's very easy to be condescending to the person that connects to God emotionally. And we'll be convinced that we have a monopoly on connection and we'll have sources. And it's always wonderful how everybody has sources to prove whatever they want. I mean, thank God Torah is big enough and wide enough to pretty much um, prove almost whatever you want. But earlier today, we were, I was sitting in Shul and every morning we share a vart after davening and we were holding at the part of davening where we say at the end of the davening, Amar Rabbi Elazar, Amar Rabbi Chanina, Rabbi Elazar said in the name of Rabbi Chanina, Tamide Chachamim Marbim Shalom Ba'olam, that Torah sages they add peace to this world. And the thought was shared that how do you know someone's a true Torah sage when they add peace? When somebody's adding friction to this world and making the world a more chaotic place, you have to question whether the Torah they're learning is actually Torah, whether they're a Torah scholar. A Torah scholar, somebody that that believes in God's word and studies God's word, is a person that adds peace. So, just because one of us will connect to God in, in one of the ways to convince ourselves that we have the monopoly and to look down to other people who have more of a different experience to God. They connect God more emotionally or they connect to God more action-based. They just do the right thing. They're not big intellectuals. They don't necessarily appreciate a, hard, a high-level shiur, a lecture. They're not, they, you know, they'll fall asleep within five seconds of the rabbi's speech. No matter how many times the rabbi walks over to them and says, you know, please, Craig, just don't fall asleep on me. It's not nice. Um, don't fall asleep. But that person is a doer. And to be condescending to their connection, I think, is, is, is fundamentally um, antithetical to what Judaism stands for. And that is a personal relationship with Hashem where each one of us, based on the personality that God gifted us with, we develop that relationship. So what we want to talk about today for the next few minutes on the show is really about this idea of relationship with God and focusing really on these three elements, the intellectual relationship and the emotional relationship and the active-based relationship, and to ask ourselves, how do we nurture it more and how do we look to appreciate more in the other person their relationship to God instead of, once again, thinking we have a monopoly? We'd love to hear your thoughts on this topic and in general... On any topic that's on your mind, you can SMS us 34519. Some upbeat music, right? Craig looks like he wants to start dancing in the studio. It's Craig, it's just like, I can't wait for you to do those moves. Here, Yaakov Shweki, Am Yisrael, 101.9, Chai FM. You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avzan on 101.9, Chai FM. 101.9, Chai FM. Hi, Rabbi. Would you be able to dedicate today's learning? In the memory of Lili Nishmas, Yitzchak Ben Herschel, of course. Um, this is 101.9 Chai FM, and my name is Rabbi Levi Atzin, and we are today talking about, um, yeah. what were we talking about? No, we were talking about relationship with God and the various different ways to have a relationship. Now, Ethics of Our Fathers, right at the beginning, says the following statement. Al The world stands on three things. Ala Torah, v'ala Vodah, v'ala on Torah, which is study, Voda, service of God, emotion, prayer. We're told avodazu tefilat, tefilazu avodah, davening, which is an emotional, intimate, personal relationship. 
that's avodah, service, and gemilut chasadim, kindness is action. And you see that three, you know, prong, the three, ta- that three leg table, consistently throughout references of Judy, you know, when we talk about serving God, the, the three ways is always there. A different way we say it is when we, a new child is born and we say, you should raise the child, for Torah, for Chuppah, which is marriage, good deeds. Now, those are interesting three milestones. You know, how did Chuppah enter there? Why don't we say Bar Mitzvah or anything? And the rabbis explain that they refer again to the three faculties. Torah is academic, study, knowledge. Chuppah is emotional. I mean, obviously, everyone knows that to be happily married, it doesn't really depend that much on your IQ, um, but more on your EQ, on your how much you care and how much empathy you have and how much you know how to listen and how much you know how to share. And, of course, kindness. So that, that three-prong, almost the three foundations of the building are front and center of, of Judaism. But most of us are not necessarily equally as strong in the three elements as the the other one. In other words, some of us are naturally more intellectual, some of us are naturally more emotional, and so much of our, many of us are more action based. So what happens is that we tend to neglect one of the three or two of the three or don't give it as much focus as necessary. Worse than that is we start looking down and we become condescending and judgmental of other people who are one of those three, the one that we're not. So if you're an emotional being, you can't understand why the other person is a cult. He's cold. He or she is cold. They're more academic-based. They don't exactly get all excited. They're not looking for experiences all the time. Their relationship is sitting you know, at a five-hour lecture and connecting and uplifting themselves through knowledge. And the intellectual looks at the person that's just running and doing things the whole day and very action-based and not necessarily a, an intellectual or not necessarily emotionally wise. And they look at the person and eh, schlepper. And that's when things become problematic. Because, first of all, each and every one of us as individuals need a healthy balance of the three. But as a people and as a world, we also need the balance of all three because the world would not be good if everyone was one of the three. First of all, sameness is terrible. But more importantly, it would be imbalanced. Could you imagine a world where there was nobody with emotional intelligence, just a bunch of intellectuals? <laughs> Gosh, you would feel like you're walking into... Maybe that's what the robot world is going to look like. huh? What do you think? When uh, AI takes over, it's going to be lots of intelligence with no emotion. Could you imagine a world that everyone was emotional and there was no objective knowledge? There was no focus on knowledge. Could you imagine a world where everyone was emotionally intelligent and intellectually intelligent, but no one actually did anything? So you needed to, you know, build a house and there was nobody there because you're just dealing with a bunch of professors and a bunch of psychologists so that you can't actually build a house. The world only functions with a healthy balance of the three. And us as individuals function at a healthy balance of the three, where we have a strong mind, a strong heart, and a strong body, physically, but spiritually. Our mind is aligned, we think, and we nurture our mind to think God-like, the way God wants us to think. We feel, we, we educate ourselves to feel 
the feelings that God wants us to feel and that are good and that are ethical and that are wonderful and that make the world a better place. And we do actions that make the world a better place and are wholesome. When uh, we as individuals nurture ourselves in all those three, that's when you reach some form of wholesomeness. We're, we're then holistic. We're, we're well-rounded. We're whole. Otherwise, we're fragmented beings. When we have great IQ, but EQ is lacking, we're fragmented beings. You know, we could sit there figuring out tremendous mathematical problems, but we actually cannot get along. We're emotionally dumb. And when we can't, you know, change our flat tire, um, I'm talking about myself, (laughs) but when when we can't do something, you can't actually crack an egg and fry an egg, you can't actually do something, there's no active intelligence, there's no intelligence on doing something on the ground, that's also lacking because we're living in a grounded real world. We're not living... Um, just, you know, the top third of our body, you know, living in our brains or living in our hearts. We're, we're living in a world that demands action. Especially the Hamaisu Iker, more than anything, the mitzvahs demand action. Most mitzvahs are action-based because we live in a world that the biggest impact you can make on this world is through doing something. Maisa, Hua Iker, action is paramount, is the most fundamental thing. So it's when we create a well-rounded reality of having a healthy mind, a healthy heart, and healthy action that we actually become, I don't want to call shalem complete because I don't think any of us achieve that in our lifetime, but we, we, we start the journey, I believe, as a holistic person. We're on the journey of, 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 of balance. And this is the month, this is the month of Elul. The month of Elul, which is really the month of reflection and the month that God's close. It's the the most God-focused month of the year. You know, each holiday has their theme. Pesach has the theme of freedom. Obviously, God is involved in, in, at the core of every detail. But when you think about the word Pesach, the, the Passover holiday, the theme is freedom. Shavuot is Torah. Sukkot is joy or unity. Purim is sacrifice, commitment, joy. Hanukkah is light. Tubishvat is nature and rebirth. Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is God. Specifically Rosh Hashanah. Yom Kippur is soul and forgiveness. Rosh Hashanah is when we crown God as our king. That's the theme of the day. Yes, it's also the day of judgment. But at the core, it's the day that we take the shofar and we blow and we crown Hashem a king. It's the God, it, and that's why it's the beginning of the year, because at the core of the entire year and all the holidays that will follow, the fundamental theme is God. And after that, you could build and say you could bring joy and you could bring light and you could bring sacrifice and freedom and all the wonderful themes. But the first day of the year, the first fundamental, the Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year is God. Because if, if there's no baseline of there being a God and crowning Hashem as our king, then the following holidays really struggle to find their footing because there's no baseline. We haven't agreed to, to accept God as our king and have that relationship. So all those ideas of freedom and sacrifice and light are falling on a, on a lack of a foundation if we don't have the Rosh Hashanah. And that's why Rosh Hashanah is taken so seriously, consciously or subconsciously, by many of us. 
because it's the day that at the core of the entire calendar and the core of the entire religion, we're coming and we're saying, God, we commit for another year. We are going to have a relationship for another year. That's what Rosh Hashanah is. It's coming and saying, I'm in for the relationship. And, you know, many people focus on the fact that Rosh Hashanah is God judging us. But in some way, we're judging him in the fact that, maybe, obviously, we're not sitting at a court of law and we're not judging, but we are making the same decision. God's deciding if he wants us for another year, and we're deciding if we want him for another year. What kind of relationship we'll have? Because our relationship to God is, in many ways, a marriage. It's where two beings are deciding the dynamic of the relationship. And that is why the Song of Songs, the book Shir Hashirim, which refers to a romantic relationship between a man and woman, we're told that it obviously refers to the relationship between God and the Jewish people, God and us. And Rabbi Kiva was the one that said in the Talmud that that book is the Holy of Holies. Why? Because referring to God as a spouse from all the other relationships we mentioned earlier, king and father and mother and sibling, the highest level of relationship is when we see HaKadosh Baruch when we see Hashem as our spouse, when we feel that we're in an intimate, passionate relationship, where we, where God cares, chooses to care about what we do, and where we give ourselves over, and where God gives himself over to us. And that's where Rosh Hashanah, we come over, and we decide to commit for another year, and God decides, to, you know, whether he's going to commit with us, give us another year to live, and a year of health, and together we collectively agree to have this relationship, and please God, we go forward in the, in the coming year. That is Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is about a relationship. And the month leading to Rosh Hashanah, which started this Shabbat and Sunday, Rosh Chodesh, the beginning of the month of Elul, is when we lead up, when we give ourselves a full month. No other holiday has really a full month of meditation. Uh, to focus and sit there getting this idea, getting our, ourselves ready for the, to upgrade our relationship with God. So back to the three themes, the theme of emotion, intelligence, and action. I would argue, it's not my argument, I'm just sharing the argument, the, the, the idea that, you know, is written in our, in, a, in so many different sources, that as we prepare for this month, as we prepare for Rosh Hashanah, we focus not just on the one that comes easiest to us, but the other ones as well. Just because some of us love learning Torah doesn't mean we can neglect the emotional relationship. Every single day in Shema we say, We have to work on loving God. Hillel was the one that said in the Talmud, we have to treat the other person the way we want to be treated, and the rest is commentary. So yes, we could sit there being super Torah scholars, but if we're not getting along with our fellow human being, and if there's no passionate, loving relationship with God, we are lacking a fundamental Part of the holistic relationship we're supposed to have with God. It's not just Torah. It's not just love. It's not just action. It's all three. So many people will say, oh, I'm great. You know, I love people. That's enough for me. That's great. That's one of the three elements. But what about the knowledge? What about action? The human being is built with three main faculties. We are intellectual beings. We are emotional beings. And we are doers. And each one of them has to be uplifted by dedicating itself to the service of God. So when I uplift my mind, and instead of just thinking, you know, you know, simple or 
secular ideas, but I uplift my mind to up, you know, to think of ideas that are godly and Torah and holy. And I take my heart, which can have any kind of feeling, and I dedicate it to have good feelings and positive feelings, and I, I dedicate it to develop better relationships between myself and my creator and myself and my fellow human being, and I dedicate my action to start doing more, not just doing things that are, you know, that you need to do for life. You go fill a petrol, you go have a shower, you go eat, but do things in, 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 for the sake of heaven and do positive, good, wholesome things. It's then that I really uplift myself. I upgrade my entire human experience to a different playing field, to a different plane. I'm then closer to God. So whichever one or two that we're strong at, it's important that we focus on the other one as well to make sure that we are a little more well-rounded. It's not okay to just, you know, love everybody and not have knowledge. I'm not saying it's not okay in a judgmental way. I'm saying for our own experience, to have our own relationship, we need all three. It's not okay to just be knowledgeable and not to have good relationships. When our spouse is telling us that we're selfish and our, you know, our teacher in yeshiva is telling us that we're incredible, that doesn't mean that our wife or our husband is wrong. It means that, that maybe one part of our dynamic is great, but the other part of our dynamic isn't. They're not exclusive. They're not mutually exclusive. You can be a knowledge person and still have a, a, a normal relationships. We could be an emotional being and still do things. We don't, we don't have to get locked into our emotions. All three, together, holistically, allow us to really upgrade our entire human experience closer to God and allow us to come into Rosh Hashanah truly uplifted and truly transformed in the best way possible. You're listening to 101.9 High FM here at Soul to Soul. You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avtsan on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, this is Rabbi Levi Avtsan, Associate Rabbi Linksfield Shul here, and this it's 1.40 p.m., and we are talking today about various different relationships to God. I want to dedicate the last third of the show to specifically one of the elements, and that is the emotional element. Already a thousand years ago, in a book called Chavot HaLevavot, which is translated in English as Duties of the Heart, they sell it in the various Judaica stores here, an incredible book, fundamental book of Jewish thought, written by Rabbi Bachi Ibn Pekuda. In his introduction, he strongly argues how already a thousand years ago and chances are he wasn't the first generation like that, he felt there was a neglect of the third pillar. He felt many people were focused on the academic part of Judaism, the knowledge, and many people focused on the action, but he saw a neglect in focus and prioritizing the emotional element. And he goes through a fascinating introduction. I think I've mentioned it before on the show, but I really encourage you to read that introduction. The book itself is incredible, but the introduction somehow has always deeply resonated, where he goes through the different arguments. Maybe it's not important, and he proves it's important. Maybe the rabbis never made a focus of it. They did make a focus. Maybe Torah doesn't make a focus. It, it does. He goes through the whole thing, and finally he comes to the obvious conclusion that it is important. And then he asks, why is no one talking about it? And he he questions whether he's the right person deserving to write about it. 
and eventually he says, if I'm going to wait to be perfect, and if anyone waited to be perfect before they wrote a book, then no book would have been written since Moses came off the mountain, Moshe Rabbeinu came off the mountain with the Torah, because nobody's perfect. And which is actually, I find, a quite a motivational, inspiring thought. Obviously, not to sit there putting out nonsense into the world, but this idea that often we're, we're afraid of sharing our feelings and our ideas out there because they aren't perfect. And that idea that God doesn't expect perfection. He just expects us to do the best we can and obviously double check and triple check, but share our, share our ideas with the world. So he goes through, he dedicates a full book, various shars, various gates, to the various emotional mitzvahs, mitzvahs that are really happen in the heart, mitzvahs of trusting God, which is the most famous of them, Shar HaBitochen, and Shar HaYichud, etc., etc., a whole focus, a focal point on the emotion. And what what you find often when you go around to various communities and various lectures and rabbis, rebbitzins talking, that there's a disproportionate lack in focusing on the third element, the emotional element. A lot of focus on study Torah, study Torah, study Torah. Um, a lot of focus on do mitzvahs, do this, do this, do this, do this. But not necessarily a huge focus on emotion. What does it mean to trust God? What does it mean to believe? What does it mean to forgive? What does it mean to not hold a grudge? What does it mean to be kind? What does it mean to be welcoming, you know, to greet people at home? That whole emotional human interaction, and not only human, human to human, but human to God as well, but the emotional element of it, I found in my experiences, is a little less focused on as the other two. Maybe because it's the most complex, maybe because, you know, Ideas are easy to define and ideas, you know, a mathematical equation and it's easy to quantify. Action is also simple to define, but emotions are much more messy and complex and they really go to the core of the human experience. There could be various reasons, but unfortunately you see the neglect. And think about it. It's 2000 years after the destruction of the temple and we're told that we're still in exile. Please God, it shouldn't last longer. We're still in exile because we can't get along. The temple wasn't destroyed because we weren't learning enough. The temple wasn't destroyed because we weren't doing enough. The temple was destroyed because we weren't treating each other nicely enough. And 2,000 years later, we still see that imbalance. Where many people, many of us, many people who choose religion or many people are growing, etc., will define their religiosity or their growth by quantifiable methods. How much they know, you know, how many pieces of Talmud, pages of Talmud have they studied, how many lectures do they go to? And action. How many mitzvahs do they do? But rarely do you see us quantifying ourselves by how many, how, how we worked on our emotions. A year down the line, do we forgive people better? That's an interesting, you know, question to ask ourselves a year later. It's been a year since Rosh Hashanah. Have we grown up? Have we become kinder people? Do we welcome people to our home in nicer ways? Are we less judgmental of each other? Are we less cynical about our fellow human being? Do we learn, did we learn how to empathize more? Did we learn how to open our pockets and actually share and open our hearts and actually listen? 
that is a, it's, again, it's hard to quantify, but that is fundamental. It's fundamental. It's part of the human experience. It's part of Judaism. It's, it's fundamental to everything. As Hillel, again, you know, repeating what we said earlier, Hillel said that the rest is commentary and treating each other well. So yes, it's hard to quantify and sit there saying, I've studied X amount of pages of, of forgiveness. But maybe we should quantify it. Maybe we should tackle, you know, the last month before the year ends and actually look at all our misunderstandings of the year and actually tackle them. According to Jewish law, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to enter Rosh Hashanah with minimal, sorry, not with minimal, with zero grudges and forgiveness, asking forgiveness and forgiving when necessary. Can we quantify our growth in that way as well as the other ways? To be able to focus on the fact that when we walk into the year, the new year, our heart is a richer heart than it was a year ago. Not just our brain is a richer brain or our actions richer, but our heart is richer. That we, we've upgraded the status of our heart, that our heart is no longer as spiteful as it used to be. It's no longer as jealous as it used to be. It's no longer unhappy for other people's success as it used to be. It's upgraded. It's a new level. To be able to look at our heart and say, wow, it's beating nicer. I've, you know, kind of done a bypass and allowed the heart to start flowing again. In this week's parashas, we read the, the, the words, Umal Hashem levavcha, that God is going to sacrifice our heart. Sorry, circumcise our heart. And that, w- that we also have the obligation to circumcise our own heart. What does that mean? It means to allow the blood in our heart, uh, the spiritual blood, the positive energy to flow, to remove the coverings over our heart which clog it, to allow our heart to feel love, to feel happiness. Can we decide that if last year we were more of a depressive kind of character, this year we'll be more positive? If last year we saw everything in a negative light and we're just waiting to prove our, you know, premonition that everything's going to be terrible, next year we're going to be looking the other way and looking to prove our premonition that everything's great. Can we change on our emotional reality? Because in many ways our emotional reality is our reality more than intellectual inaction. That's the human experience. We live through our heart. Can we do that? Can we connect and upgrade the connection of our heart, the Judaism of our heart, the Elul of our heart. You're listening to 101.9 Chai FM. You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avzan on 101.9 Chai FM. 101.9 Chai FM, this is Rabbi Levi Avzan. And last few minutes of the show. Again, thank you, Craig. Um, thank you, Chai FM, for the opportunity. And just before we finish off with a beautiful tune, Tiku Bachodesh, to blow the, sho- to blow the shofar. Um, it's a song about blowing the shofar in the month of Tishrei, but also now it's the month that we blow the shofar, and now in the month of Elul, and it's really a deep, reflective Hasidic melody. Just want to finish off with something that I've, I think every single year on this sh- show, at this time of the year, I've spoken to myself out loud, and just allow me to share, and that is, let's forgive somebody. Let's think about somebody in our life that we need to forgive or to ask forgiveness and just do it as uncomfortable and as terrible and as humiliating as it might think, we might think it will be. Let's 
do it. Let's go down the forgiveness route. It's so easy to quetch about people that hate us on the outside. You know, people now focusing on the new year, anti-Semitism's rising. Those are things often beyond our control. We could do a little bit, but mostly anti-Semitism is beyond our control. What is in our control is that we all love each other, that there shouldn't be anti-Semitism within us, that we shouldn't hate each other. Doesn't mean that we all have to, you know, enjoy each other's company. We're all different styles. We're all different personalities. And that's fine. There's 12 tribes in Israel. But hate, inability to forgive, that's not our trait. We're forgivers. We let go. And we ask forgiveness. We, we are humble, shy, compassionate, and kind people. That's, that's the traits of, of our nation. So how can we enter Rosh Hashanah and ask God to forgive us? Because we've all made mistakes this year. How can we ask God to forgive us if we can't forgive each other? If we want God to forgive our selfishness and imperfections, and times, you know, we did, we've all done silly things in our lives and in the past year. Okay, I can only talk for myself. I always say that if we were caught in our weakest moment of the year of our life and was posted to YouTube, all our legacies would be destroyed. Some of us are unlucky and it does make it to YouTube. Most of us, thank God it doesn't. But ultimately, we all have weak moments and things to be embarrassed about. And yet we come to God and we say, Slachlanu, forgive us. Can we give that same gift to each other? To just forgive. I don't care if the guy stole an inheritance. I don't care if you think that you're fighting a righteous war and you think you're doing your mother the biggest favor by continuing to not talk to her children because she didn't forgive the children. Believe me, mom's now in heaven. She wants you to forgive. Let's, let, let's, let's forgive, especially when it comes to family, the close people to us. I always say this, uh, I, I always think about the idea that there's certain people that halachically, according to Jewish law, we have to sit shiva for. And that is children, parents, siblings, spouse. We have an obligation to sit shiva when they die. In other words, the relationship is beyond breakage. At least the people that we're supposed to sit shiva for. Let's not wait to sit shiva for them in order for them, for us to realize that we're, we're bounded. At least the people who are first level relationship, parents, children, siblings, and spouse. Let's just forgive. There's too much. There's too many siblings not talking to each other. Too many spouses that are breaking the relationship for often not good, not good reasons. Too many parents and children not talking to each other. Let's just cut it. Wishing you a Shana Tova, sweet and happy and blessed year. And I want to finish the show with a beautiful tune, Tiku, here on 101.9 Chai FM. Have a great week.